I'm Matt. I'm Kyle. And I'm Doug. And we're the Casual Tutors, coming at you again today with another fresh, spicy episode. This week, we're going to be talking about alternative formats or variants for Commander and Commander-adjacent games. Before we get started, as always, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. We are on the social medias, all of them, primarily Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Casual Tutors. We also have a TikTok where I post at least once a week of some spicy memes, so make sure to go check that out. And more importantly than all that other bullcrap, we are on Discord, and we are striving to have an active Discord where we have discussions about EDH decks, magic news, off-topic discussions, spoilers, everything in between and everything nerdy you could think of. So check us out. Our link tree is down in the description. It takes you anywhere you want to be that has to do with casual tutors. And without further ado, we're going to jump right into this week's episode. So like I mentioned, we're going to be speaking on alternative formats or variants for Commander, EDH, and adjacent game types. This is by no means an all-encompassing list, because I'm pretty sure at this point in Magic's history, Commander-adjacent game types and variants is pretty much infinite. It seems like there's new ones coming out every week, new game types being thought up on Reddit and Discords all over the place. So we're just going to hit on some of the most popular ones that we are familiar with as casual tutors. And, you know, as always, if we fuck something up or you guys can think of something else, join that Discord and let us know. Is this where we start talking about Hearthstone? This is no. Hearthstone <laughs> is a magic adjacent game, I would agree. <laughs> oh, no, it's flesh and blood. Right, 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 right. My bad. Oh, my gross. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's a rabbit hole. Um, anyways, I think it's just jump off right at the start of our list. Talk about Plane Chase. It's kind of the pseudo fresh in everybody's mind. It's by no means a fresh variant for commander or game types, but with the reprint of plane chase cards in the March of the Machine commander precons, it's definitely come back in a big way. And I know I'm super excited about it. I've been playing it every chance I get. And I, I love the way plane chase warps commander. Yeah. And it's not just reprints uh, for plane chase in the new commander decks either. It's actually just new stuff for it as well. So you can make your New and better and and uh, bigger plane chase decks. Whether you do it, you know, with the actual physical cards or if you're using the plane chase app. Either yep. way. Yeah. So four reprinted planes, the phenomenons, and five brand spanking new planes from Magic's recent past. Kyle, have you had a chance to do any plane chase? I have not. I was going to say I really want to play and try it out. I've never played plane chase. Um, yeah. And I just seem to kind of miss i i'm kind of on an every other week for getting to play commander right now schedule and i just kind of just miss it barely every time yeah trivia was more important to kyle than commander this week so that tells you how dedicated <laughs> kyle is but i i ever since march of the machines came out i ran out grabbed all five of those pre-cons that have been jamming those oversized plane chase cards and dice into my bag every week and not demanding my player groups play them with me but heavily insistent that they play plane chase with me and it, I think there's a lot of great benefits to it. Yeah, I mean, it does make the games a little bit longer, even with the newer planes that are a little bit more reasonable than some of the old ones that gave you, like, goat tokens every turn and things like that. But uh, it, it's it's a ton of fun. Um, I've actually even built a battle box of my Elder Dinosaur Highlanders, uh, where I, I built five decks for each of the monocolored Elder, elder Dinosaurs. And I, I put the Plane Chase rock in them that lets you get you a free roll of the uh, the planer die in there and that kind of thing so that's uh, i've been playing plane chase with that for forever uh and then i did get a chance last week to play with some of the new planes not very many of them because we were playing with a full deck so i only got to see a couple of the new ones uh but in general plane chase is just 
it's an absolute blast. It takes an already high-variance game like Commander and just kind of throws a wrench into everything that can be good or bad. I was in a situation this last week playing my cycling deck where there, we were in a plane we just would not leave where anytime you drew a land card, you gained three life, and anytime you drew a non-land card, you lost three life. And I was playing my cycling deck, which can draw like 40 cards in a turn cycle, and was just sitting there like going from 35 down to 15 and then back up again. It was it was just keeping me on the edge of my seat the whole time. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I have the opposite experience with playing chase where I find it typically makes the games faster. And, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with the old 86 cards that were out there. I did use the app for a while, but now I, I feel like a lot of the newer planes fed up the games. Either they accelerate somebody so fast that they just dominate or you know, it, it's a huge benefit for everybody. Like it either ramps everybody, let's mana tap for any color, stuff like that. And it just, it seems to fix a lot of issues. People, it makes up for a lot of shortcomings in people's decks, I guess, in, in my experience, at least in the Elko meta. And so it's super interesting. I think another benefit is those, those people out there that love chaos in Commander. And we all know them. They have their, their pet chaos decks. We have a, a Golos deck in our meta that just does crazy and wacky things. And I know there's a bunch of other favorite commanders out there that do that, but there, there's no bigger chaos than flipping plane chase card and either, you know, hitting a phenomenon immediately board wiping or, you know, giving everyone tokens or all the wacky things that happen. And I just, I, I love the, it, it's kind of just like introducing Monarch. It, it's a mechanic that just improves the commander gameplay, in my opinion. Yeah, and like I said, I haven't played with the new ones. That's that's really cool, though, if they are speeding things up. I might have to take a look at my Plane Chase deck um, and kind of see if I can swap some out and, and make it a little bit more personalized to maybe speed things up a little bit. Yeah, 10 out of 10 would recommend. And Absolutely. Just to mention it, too, a lot of these that we're going to talk about aren't necessarily commander-specific variants because they, they can be played with other constructed formats. Is that That's correct? right. Yeah. Plane, plane Chase Brawl is on the menu. <laughs> yeah, and Plane Chase, it, it didn't start with Commander. Plane Chase was this whole separate thing for other constructed formats prior to Commander ever really existing in a, a large major way like it does now. But it, it really found its home in Commander. Yeah, it was originally just a Plane Chase product that was uh, basically a battle box that you played with the Plane Chase cards. Um, a lot yeah. like the old, oh, what are those things called? The old uh, pre-Commander Commanders. Uh, oh. We should be talking about that variant today. Planeswalker decks? Uh, no, no, no. I'll, I'll look it up. You guys, uh, you guys vamp for me. Yeah, but just they—they they were their own pre-constructed product that they came released, and yeah, everyone had their own plane chase deck, and it was a fun format. But Commander has definitely improved it. And a, a couple of these that we'll talk about are like that too. Um, specifically starting as their own like board game style box set. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to probably the one of the most popular ones here in a couple. Doug, you keep thinking about it. I'm going to jump on to the next one. That variant is Emperor, and that's probably one of the more popular person commander uh, variants. And basically what it is, there's two teams of three, and you sit all on the same side of the table. In the middle, you have the Emperor, and on either side, you have their knights or their governors, whatever you want to call them. Uh, I've seen a few different variations on naming the two peons on either side of the Emperor. Lieutenant. But basically lieutenants yeah that's another one but basically each position has its own realm of influence if you are a lieutenant your realm of influence is one so you can only interact with the people immediately sitting next to you so your emperor and one of the enemy lieutenants 
if you're the emperor, your realm of influence is two. So you could influence one of your lieutenants or either of the enemy lieutenants. And basically, as you eliminate, you know, your, as, your lieutenant, as your lieutenants die and as your enemy's lieutenants dies, your sphere of influence just moves that one seat over. So let's say your team is just absolutely rocking it. You knock out one of your enemy's lieutenants right away. Now, the emperor, which I guess in this case will be you, and the lieutenant that was previously sitting next to the dead lieutenant can now target the enemy emperor. And basically, it doesn't matter how many lieutenants are left on the battlefield, but when one of the emperors dies, the surviving emperor wins and their team wins. How strange. That is, that is a lot of information. It, it plays it, much it simpler. Yeah, it plays a lot simpler. And the best thing about Emperor, in my opinion, especially when it's applied to EDH specifically, is six is that deciding point you always have when you have six people that want to play, where you're like, well, do we do a game that's going to last five hours, or do we split into two pots of three? And the correct answer is you split into two pots of three. But this is an alternative to that, because you can play with three people on each side, and it's streamlined, it's streamlined play where you're both on both sides of the table are on teams essentially. Uh, so uh, it's really really good to solve that six player problem. Uh, another big point of Emperor it, making these games more streamlined and quick is that every player starts with 20 health instead of the 40. So okay. that right away is faster. I I have not played Emperor that way actually. That's interesting. Oh. Yeah. But key notion is you still are only trying to kill one player. You don't really give a shit about the lieutenants. You just have to kill enough of them so that your lieutenants can help you as the emperor kill the other emperor. This is something we're going to see where a lot of these commander variants come into existence due to the need for more than four-player formats. And the correct way to play proper EDH is a four-player pod. Any more than that, and it literally becomes AIDS with duration. And I don't think anybody really ever has positive experiences of it unless you're a very close-knit friend group that plays kitchen table EDH. And even then, I don't really want to talk to my friends for a three-hour fucking commander game. Like, I want to move on. I want to kill you. I want to play a different deck. As long as I'm killing you, I guess, I'm happy. Killing friends brings happiness. I do like the idea of, of moving through games semi-quickly. I've had some fun with long games, don't get me wrong. But I, I do typically show up with more than one deck, and I like to play more than one deck and, you know, change it up a little bit. It's very rare that I want to be sitting at a table for... Even over an hour and a half, really. Yeah, and you know, if you get stuck in a game where you're not having fun and it lasts three hours, you're just gonna flat out be immediately burned out of Commander. Having the option to move and get new players in your group or just try a different deck or whatever is the most. I mean, we play a game for high variance. Having high variance in the numbers of games you play is also fun. So next up on our list after Emperor, we got Vanguard, and this is something I know very little about, but I'm gonna let Kyle and Doug take the lead on this one. So the basic gist of Vanguard is these are very old, basically pre-commanders that change the actual rules of the game as opposed to being a legendary creature. So you can start with a Vanguard card that will literally set the rules uh, of your deck uh, and give you an ability ahead of time. They will also change your starting life total, sometimes the amount of cards that you start off with in your hand. There's a whole bunch of different crazy things. So it's hard to get a hold of these these days because there weren't very many of them made. But, you know, it's probably something you can feel pretty comfortable proxying. And it can be a blast to just be like, okay, well, I'm going to play as Urtai here so that all of my creatures uh, just have Shroud. You know, no biggie. <laughs> that sounds great. 
everyone loves Shroud, and everyone loves Shroud on everything. <laughs> well, you do start with one less card in hand, but honestly, that seems like a pretty good deal to me. A lot of upside, yeah. Kyle, what was your interpretation about Vanguard? You said you read about 30 seconds or something on it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the weird thing that I saw on it was it looks like at least when this was, um, I don't want to say popular, but when it was attempted to become popular, when Wizards was trying to do it, it looks like players agreed on the format beforehand in the, in the sense of what kind of constructed decks they were using, whether it was standard, modern, legacy, or vintage, as to the pool of cards that they had available, I'm guessing. Um, so that just seems like kind of a strange, interesting throw-in that maybe made it not go anywhere. Yeah, and, and something I just threw in the list that's kind of related to this whole theory is just EDH in general. And we saw um, Command Zone do something like this where it was literally just true Elder Dragon Highlander. And now that we even have new Elder Dragons, this becomes even more viable but, you know, retaining that, you know, originality that Commander became and, it, you know, offers a lot of challenges because obviously there's only like, what, you know, probably less than 20 Elder Dragons now at this point. Uh, yeah, I, there's, I think it's 15, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah. There's the Strix Saving Cycle, the original Elder Dragons, and then the reprints of the Elder Dragons. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. And we won't count all the Nickel Bolas Planeswalkers that are out there because... Yeah, that sounds like AIDS, and no one wants a commander that's a planeswalker anyways. Uh, but EDH itself, just getting back to your roots, playing Elder Dragon Highlander, building your decks that are tuned towards these super powerful, super expensive dragons that used to have a lot of drawbacks and now are just put out pretty good, um, you know, can be fun and challenging and, you know, different. Kind of like uh, all these other variants. I think it's it's worth uh, worth stating, too, that even, you know, EDH or commander is is a variant that's based off of Canadian Highlander. So it's a variant of a variant, essentially, you know, as people tried to invent different formats. Yeah, the, the pedigree of this format, uh, that is Commander as a whole, is very bastardized and taken from a lot of different ideas as it's evolved over the years from Sheldon's brainchild in Alaska to what it is now. Yeah, there was even another one called Five Color where it was mandatory that you played all five colors and I believe you had to have 250 cards. Oh, so every deck was just a Kenrith deck. <laughs> that sounds awesome. And awful. <laughs> as far as yeah. Oh, I oh couldn't even God. imagine. Just give yourself a good cut and call it good. So next up, we got Two-Headed Giant. This is a format that, again, it sees play across a bunch of different types of constructed and limited environments. Uh, basically, it's you and a teammate share you know, a health pool. But other than that, your board states are your own. And obviously you can share information between your hands and stuff like that and plan your uh, course of actions against your opponents. But, you know, other than that, it's relatively straightforward. You just punch face with your teammate and do your best to win. Man, two at a giant limited is so much fun. I, I still think, I know it's been who knows how many number of years now, but God, Battle Bond was such a good set. Battle Bond was fun. Not going to lie. And I forget what it was. We even did a two-headed giant fairly recently, I want to say in the last year, as part of a Friday Night Magic event. And that was a sealed event. And that was just flat out a blast. It's always a good time. Obviously, you want to pick someone to be on your team that's someone you like, which sometimes is a big hurdle when you show up to a store event and the other person supposed to be your teammate doesn't show up. <clears throat> was that me? <clears throat> that was you. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> but... 
yeah, two-headed giant's a great time. It, it's kind of a, a different take on multiplayer format because in reality, there's four players, but really there's two. It's it, a fun, interesting twist. So next up on our list, we got what Kyle was alluding to earlier with one of these formats slash variants that started its life as a box pre-constructed game type, and that is Arch Enemy. Uh, Kyle, do you want to give a synopsis on it? Yeah, I, Arch Enemy is, is pretty simple. It's basically you have one person who's the Arch Enemy, and then the other three are trying to defeat the Arch Enemy. And now I know that Arch Enemy also has uh, like an Arch Enemy deck similar to um, Plane Chase. Plane Chase. That gives, because obviously it's, it's three versus one, right? So the arch enemy cards give the arch enemy usually some kind of a boon. Yeah, whether it's giving him super powerful tokens, it's destroying creatures, it's letting him draw extra cards, uh, tap for extra mana, all these kinds of variants. And again, it's similar to Plane Chase in that you're flipping a card from this deck that is not uh, part of your commander deck. But it is dissimilar from playing Chase is that you don't roll a die. It just happens at the beginning of every turn. Another thing that's kind of different is that the Arch Enemy deck is typically much more powerful than the other three. Unless you go to a Magic event and you play the Professor, and then he's going to play the weakest pre-con he can, and then just absolutely get stopped by everybody else while you're trying to have a good <laughs> chat with the Professor. Because, you know, who doesn't want a 15-minute game with some big famous Magic YouTuber? Because, you know, that's what I paid for, right? I would much rather have a longer game, but no, some people just, I don't know, felt like seal clubbing the poor guy that was forced to play games with a bunch of goddamn plebs all day long. Just a, a mention, not that, not that we need any more card types or any other names to throw around the magic universe, but I guess the, the arch enemy cards are actually called schemes. Yeah. Something like that. And I don't think really that many people even have the Arch Enemy cards at this point. It's another thing that, like, like the old Plane Chase cards has kind of been adapted into an application for your phone, and you just smack it down on the middle of the table and tap that thing away. So super accessible, super easy, super fun, especially if you have someone in your group that, in, in this instance, we shall not name, because he's not a member of the Casual Tutors, but he is in our local playgroup. I name but him all the time. You do, but we're not going to name him in this instance. This everyone particular has a, instance. Everyone has a that guy, okay? You can name him whatever yeah. you'd like. That guy. When you make that guy the arch enemy and the three of you just absolutely beat the living shit out of him, it's a great time. And here's like the thing. Just, that ahead. guy, that guy loves to be the arch enemy. And, yeah, and loves getting the shit kicked out of him because he's just going to continue being the arch enemy and continue fucking building degenerate ass decks that just continue forcing them to be the arch enemy. And again, if you play the professor at a magic event in an arch enemy style event, don't fucking beat the shit out of him because he's already having a bad day and there might be people at your table that want to talk to him longer than the game lasts. <laughs> so next up, we have one that I personally love a lot that's been kind of hard for me to get off the ground in our local meta for some reason, and that's Kingdoms. This is another uh, larger than four person event and really the sweet spot is five, but it can be adapted into six. And what it is, is you randomly assign roles using lands and there's one king two knights and two assassins in the five player variant and in the six player version you add a usurper basically the king wants to survive and win the game easy objective easy being king the knights go ahead 
was, this is the only one that I on on our whole list of variants and and formats and all that kind of thing that I I'd never heard of. So it sounds almost like mafia uh, or uh, or wolf uh, yeah. kind of that kind of variant where nobody knows what do you, do you know what roles you're using or no? No. Well, I think technically the knights and the king can know, but you're not supposed to know the assassins. So if the knights and the kings know who are, you know who the assassins are. So realistically, no. It's supposed to be kind of played like secret partners. But basically, you assign roles, and the king just wants to win the game. Easy peasy. The knights wanted to defend the king. That's what it is. You know who the king is, because right. the assassins want to kill the king. But then you don't know who the knights are, you don't know who the assassins are. And the knights can lose the game, but as long as the king wins, the knights will win also, just like an emperor. And then the assassins, the only way they win the game is if they kill the king. Now, if you're playing with a usurper, it gets a little twist. Should the king die, he instead restarts the game at 20 life or 40, depending on who you're playing with. And no, I'm getting this backwards. He restarts the game at one life, is no longer the king, and the usurper becomes the king. And now the, the previous king is the usurper now. So it just the roles flip-flop, and the game continues until either the king wins or the assassin wins. So do the knights change allegiances with the usurper? Um, no, I think they're still defending the king. Okay. Yeah, I'm less familiar with the six-player variant, and I think it is they can only flip-flop once. Uh, so if the assassins should kill the king again, then the assassins win. So they don't get totally ripped off of the king not actually dying and just going to one life. Because if they kill the usurper, then they win the game. And it, it's something along those lines. Yeah, this, this one seems like it'd be less complicated in person once you were just like, okay, I'm a knight, I'll have to do is protect that dude. Kind of thing, yep. or I'm an assassin, all I have to do is kill that dude, you know. I, yeah, as opposed to explaining it, sounds a little bit more complicated. Yeah, and the five placer five person variant is much simpler than the six person with the usurper. The usurper just complicates all the shit. So play this with five people and you're golden, but yeah, that's basically it. It's super fun. I think it has that nice niche at five because, like you said, we have something like Emperor at six and you know, splitting into two pods of three, which splitting a pod of five is harder to do. So the, there's some nice. Nice options at five there for kingdoms. Yeah, it does make sense because I mean, people will play five player pods. I'll play five player pods, but they're they're still you know I mean they're not for it's, it's not yeah. optimum at all, and it's going to take longer. So it, having a variant might make that a little bit more enjoyable. Yeah. So next up we got pre DH, and this is something that's not new, but new in the sense of popularity. There's been a few different YouTubers that have made content on it. And it's something that is super fun. But Doug, if you want to take the lead on this one. Yeah, so essentially PreDH is just Commander, but before any Commander products were made. Uh, so if I remember correctly, I, I believe it's Darksteel is the cutoff. So um, it's not. So I actually love PreDH. It's like one of my favorite formats. No, it wouldn't be Darksteel. It would it's be, New Phyrexia. There you go. It's Thank you. It's 2011 like, before. <laughs> right. Yeah, because Commander, or the original Commander 2011 was the original Commander. So anything made before that set is legal. Nothing going forward from there is. Uh, so there's still all the old broken cards. Believe it or not, there, there's there's a semi-thriving even CEDH, pre-DH meta out there. Although most people are, again, playing it casual, same as regular EDH. The idea being just you get to do all the old stuff from before they started printing things custom made for commander and everything was just kind of made for standard at that point. One of the interesting things is the, the RC is actually kind of overseeing or did oversee 
for EDH a little bit. It's it's one of the only ones variants that they kind of had that direct influence on. As well as one of my favorite parts about it is there's only 443 possible commanders. Yeah, I mean, if you go back, because there's a lot of people that also do like build a box challenges where you get you buy a box and make a commander deck out of it. And most people think of like an old broken set. They'll be like, I'm going to do Urza Saga. And then they look it up and there's like two legends Mm -hmm. in the entire set. (laughs) And they're they're both mono blue. You're like, okay, that's not going to work. (laughs) <laughs> kind of thing it, it it's a much more limited card pool which is nice if you've been playing for a while because you basically know all the commanders off the top of your all the relevant commanders off the top of your head more or less whereas you know today's format and this is a good thing but today commander it's you could sit down at five different pods and never see the same commander twice unless you played the same deck twice uh, which is just not going to be the case when it comes to pre you know what's fun? Yeah. I just no, uh, no. Googled pre-EDH commanders list, and the very first link was a two-specific top 10. I would, yeah, I did one. I did, <laughs> I did a, a top 10 list on pre-EDH when it kind of first raised its head again there. That was a fun article. Yeah, and one of the big pseudo-celebrities that kind of, you know, prefaced the recursion of pre-EDH was Sheldon Mennery himself in his Star City Games article about two specific games he had playing pre-EDH. But yeah, there, there is a lot of comfort in the familiarity of, the, you know, a common commander base that is well known to everybody. And, you know, like Doug said, there's nothing wrong with a variety of current commander, but, you know, spicing things up and, you know, falling back on things that are well known is also something that is good and healthy for you as a player. And, and to be clear, pre-EDH, all it is, it, it, it's a build challenge, essentially. And, and yeah. that's always something that you can do with your local playgroup or even with your LGS. I remember at, at uh, our old LDS, LGS, we actually had uh, a build challenge that we did when the Ravnica Allegiance came out, uh, where everybody got assigned out of a hat, essentially, a guild, and they had to build a deck, a, or a deck from that guild. And the only rule was you couldn't buy any cards. You had to trade or get out of your collection whatever cards you had. And it ended up making, making my... Will and uh, Rowan Kenrith deck, which I never would have built otherwise, and hated that, hated for forever until I finally sat down and kind of made it and said, "Oh, this is actually kind of fun to play." Kind of half spell slinger, half super friends, and build challenges can do things like that. And the sky is the limit on those. Recently, I've been seeing people do all old border, which is kind of a mixture of old cards and new ones that have gotten that retro treatment. Uh, you can do build challenges that are like, oh, it has to all be white border, or it has to do, you know, this theme, or uh, we're going to pick a standard from way, way back when, and you can only use cards from that standard and those kind of things. So the sky's really the limit as far as this goes, whether it be with your meta or your LGS. That build yeah. challenge was a ton of fun. We should do another build challenge. Absolutely. I kept that I kept that Orzov deck around for quite a while, too. That was a good, staxy, funny deck. Dude, I, built, me. I built Pure and Toothy. That deck was so good. That's because Pure and Toothy is real good. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> was insane. Although, to be fair, my most powerful deck at this point is also that Will and Kenrith deck because I didn't realize when I first got it that, that Will Kenrith essentially says, um, if I come down and untap, you guys lose the game. Is essentially what happens. Yeah, gross. Yeah. So, moving on, we have something else listed here. It's not really a format or a variant, but it is kind of an event type related to Commander, and that's pre-con tournaments at your lgs uh we had something come out today in a wpn email to our local game store 
where Wizards is trying to get more behind the support of pre-con events at LGSs, and they're actually supporting it by providing free Strixhaven Commander decks for prize support for any store that orders Commander product and hosts these pre-con events. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that's good to see. I, I mean, it, those... it's very selfish, because obviously they just want to sell more pre-cons, but the free product is always nice. Well, yeah, but I mean, for those not familiar, so pre-con tournaments, the entire idea of it is is everyone can show up, and sometimes you'll see these as kind of a pre-release event where the the week that the commander decks come out, the, the store will say, all right, you can buy one of these decks, and we're going to have a tournament with just the pre-con decks that just came out. I've also seen it before where people just say, any pre-cons, any pre-cons whatsoever, but they all have to have the original stamp, and you can you can do that pre-con and, and, and call it good essentially. And it's really, really easy to self-police because you all you have to do is check the the uh, the logo on the card and say, oh, no, this is from that set, and it, it's good to go. Uh, so you don't really have to worry about it too much. Uh, but the, the secret of it is, is that more and more the newer the pre-con is, the better it is, especially when it comes to stuff like the bro- the Brothers War pre-cons, which were absolutely busted. Oh, Urza. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah. if you have problems... I see this with a lot of LGSs. So if you run an LGS and you're having problems trying to, for, for lack of a better term, monetize Commander, this is a really, really good way to do that, to take 30 people being in your store playing Commander that not aren't necessarily buying anything and say, hey, if you guys you know need pre-con decks, we're going to do a pre-con tournament. And it's a lot of fun for everyone because no one has to worry about power levels or that rule zero conversation. Everyone knows coming in like you were playing a pre-con and the people across from you are also going to be playing pre-cons. Yeah, and it gets around the biggest issue with trying to have formal EDH events, and that is the balance of it. Obviously, you want everyone to be there and still have a good time at your event, so you try to do something moderate. You say, you know, nothing better than a 7, but as we all know, everything is a 7. So you're still going to get people in their seal clubbing, and this is something that I attempted here on our local meta a few years ago, with a commander league over the course of an entire month. And, you know, I ran it for three or four months by the end of that last month where before I just gave up because of, well, also because of COVID, but it literally was an entire eight by 11 document filled with rules on the back of the score sheet. And it was just obnoxious that I even had to get to that point. Yeah. Which I mean, that that's really what this is replacing. Cause you'll see a lot of LGSs and you'll see these posts on Reddit all the time. We talked about it last week where people are coming through and saying, you know, my LGS is this ban list that's 12 miles long, and, you know, they, they have all these cards on it, and you can't do these things and no combos and blah, blah, and, and people hate that, and for good reason. It's super complicated and all that kind of thing. What that LGS is essentially trying to do is is cultivate, you know, a local meta that they have in their head and, and make yeah. that into an event where they can run a tournament or what have you or an, a commander night without having to re- run into these problems. But they're creating new problems doing that that the pre-con tournament solves. Yeah, and, like... I- I wasn't trying to get that way. There was no extra ban list or anything with mine. All my rules were literally just don't be a shitty player in your pod, essentially. (laughs) And like, that's why it was so bad that I had to get to this point. I'm like, you don't know common courtesy. You don't know, you know, how to interact or read a room or, you know, just be friendly in a normal social environment. And I have to spell it out for you. Like fucking grow up. (laughs) I, I, you can only, uh, you can only, you can lead a horse to water, but that's about it there. Yeah, and but, then I'm going to start fucking clubbing that goddamn horse. You did make me think of a, a, another variant that I, I from, from my past that I absolutely love and would love to set up when you were talking about the Commander League here. And this is something that I, I've seen with those. I mentioned the Commander kind of build-a-box thing. 
generally how those evolve is everyone buys a box and then like once a week everyone opens up a booster pack and they can add that booster pack to the deck the other thing that you can do with this and and i've seen this done with sealed decks a lot with leagues uh from back in the day is you can do what's called an anti-sealed league and this would could definitely be applied to commander as well the nice thing about opening up a box or opening up uh you know doing just packs like you would at a pre-release for a sealed deck is you have all five colors you have access to all five of those colors. So what you can do in an anti-sealed league is everybody opens a sealed deck, you make your deck, and then you play a game. But before the game, you do what we used to do back in 1995, and you remove the top card of your deck and set it to the side, and you ante that card so that whoever wins the game gets the two cards that were anteed, both their own and the, and the opponent. Um, you could obviously do this with Commander as well, with four people as well. But the nice thing about it is that it makes the deck evolve over time as you lose you lose or gain bomb mythics, essentially. Uh, you have reason to move from your green-blue sealed, sealed uh, deck into some other colors, it, whether it's splashing for a third color or redesigning the deck entirely because, again, you have access to all five colors. Yeah, that's great. Kyle and I talked about Annie a couple of weeks ago and as kind of a... Um... A mechanic that they could bring back to help balance different things especially locally casually stuff like that i didn't think about like something like pre-con league using annie to you know spice things up adding things like adding a pack every week building you know adapting your decks in different ways that sounds great i think annie is the perfect way just one like, I, like we talked about a few weeks ago balance decks like if everyone's afraid of fucking dropping their mana crypt on a bet like they're probably going to stop playing mana crypt but you know, also, you know, it'd be fun in a more casual, pre-constructed type environment, too. Yeah, I don't know if it would work exactly with pre-cons because those are a set, you know, amount of colors. Um, well, it, it'd be cool but, as you open packs, you get different legendaries and stuff like that. Absolutely. Then, and you'll see that a lot, too, where people all start with a pre-con and then add a, add a pack a week as part of a commander league uh, to, to, you know, flesh out that pre-con, it. essentially. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. That sounds pretty cool. Uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts on an Annie League? I do like the idea of doing it with like the pre-cons, doing it in a commander setting, in a four-player setting, seeing the decks evolve over time. I'd never heard of that before. That was Annie itself. Anything like that is a little, a little old for my blood. But uh, <laughs> it does sound Fucking interesting. Zoomer. It does remind me somewhat of, and, and doing a little bit of research on the Annie Field League just now, does remind me of the pack wars that Doug and I used to do. And I, I haven't done pack wars since uh, Doug moved, but that yeah. reminds me of another format kind of thing that was a ton of fun. And if you are sitting down, opening up a box, it's definitely something to check out. Uh, Doug, you want to go over pack wars real quick? Yeah. So pack wars, uh, and, and I, I can't take credit for pack wars. Uh, it, it's, we used to call it DC 10 way, way back in the day. And like, <laughs> anyway, uh, so way, way back when we used to call it DC-10, the, the idea of pack wars is, is it's a thing to do so you're not just cracking packs. I don't know about you guys. I hate cracking packs. I have booster packs in my closet that I still have not opened because I'm like, I could draft these. You know, <laughs> Pack wars is kind of an alternative to just cracking packs if you're not down for that. And what it is is you take a booster pack, open it up without looking at it, shuffle all the cards, and lay them down on the table. And then both players or however many players they are, they have infinite basic lands of every type. So you start off the game with just as much mana as you want, okay? So then nobody draws a hand of seven. You instead 
first player just draws the top card of the booster pack, and then they obviously, since they have infinite mana, can play it. Um, and then it just goes from there. And sometimes somebody will get something that's, you know, it, you, it takes uh, something like a Shivan Dragon or, or what have you that has fire breathing, and it's just like, well, this is, I can make this infinite because it has just as much mana as I want here. Uh, so you'll see things like that that are just insta-win. Insta but the nice thing is, is you can just, you know, say, okay, that game's over, shove those cards to the side and keep on doing it. Once again, if the game's not over, you can also just, instead of saying, oh, it's over because we ran out of cards and that person wins, you can just crack another pack and plop it down. Uh, but everybody shares the same the, uh, the the same pack as the deck, essentially, and shares the same graveyard. Okay. Well, that brings us to the our next section. Let's talk about other commander-adjacent formats. Kyle and I talked about a bunch of these pretty early on in our show's career. So we're going to probably breeze through the first few of them and get to probably the most exciting one at the end anyways that we haven't talked about. And I know Doug is passionate about. So just kick it off. We're going to start about Oathbreaker, uh, which very recently became, uh, I guess, quote unquote, an official format for at least recognized by Watsi. And basically what that is, is you start with a planeswalker always as your commander. And it's 60 guard. Yeah, so you start with a Planeswalker and a Signature Spell. Oh, that's what it is. So your Signature Spell is an instant or sorcery within your commander's colors, but for example, like I have a deck, Faden deck, and the Signature Spell can be just blue or just red. Mine is an is it spell, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah, and basically it's Singleton. Other than that, uh, Commander Attacks applies to your spell and your legendary Planeswalker. You can't cast the spell without having the Planeswalker on the battlefield. And other than that, it's similar multi... No, is Oathbreaker the one-on-one or is Brawl one-on-one? Brawl is uh, typically one-on-one. Brawl has different life depending on its one-on-one or multiplayer, but I think Brawl was intended for one-on-one. No, Brawl was it was intended to be standard commander, and it was it was intended to be multiplayer, and then that died real hard as a combination of the Brawl precons and COVID at the same time happening. So it's instead become a uh, just another kind of competitive format on Arena, essentially, is what it is now. Oh, okay. So is Oathbreaker, because uh, I don't think Oathbreaker matters whether you play one-on-one or, I think it's more like Commander meant to be multiplayer, right? That is my understanding. And, and full disclosure, I've yet, I, I when Oathbreaker was probably kind of first got popular, I built a couple brews online, you know, on Architect and what have you, but I never have actually sat down with somebody and gotten to play it or made one on paper. I, I really want to, because it sounds like a cool concept, but I haven't gotten to do it yet. I like so, it, and I've played a handful of times, but this, again, was back right, had it been right before COVID, I think, when they first started gaining some traction. But it, it did kind of die really fast. And again, I mean, you know, it sounds like a broken record, but that could have been because of COVID. It could have been because, you know, you're competing against Commander, which is the biggest format. But I would love to try to play again. Yeah, so I went on Oathbreaker's official website at Watsi. It's a 60-card deck with three to five players. So there we go. I think we pretty much covered Brawl in that whole same breath. It's pretty much a dead format everywhere but Arena. Yeah, and it is all over Arena, but I wish that we could get Brawl back as some kind of non-rotating, you know, version of it, whether it be Pioneer or Historic or I don't, I don't know what they've all invented now. Uh, yeah. But if we get it back as a non-rotating but you know limited card pool format, I think that would be really really fun. Well, It'd be interesting to see because I didn't see this in the announcement for standard when they changed it to a three-year rotation. But I wonder if Brawl followed that as well. Yeah, I mean Brawl has always just been they they 
it's what's standard. legal and standard. Yeah. yeah. So that makes it, sense. It's it sucks because Brawl on Arena, um, more specifically historic Brawl on Arena, which is historic is similar to Pioneer, um, just with cards available on Arena. Um, but historic brawl was a ton of fun. And then Wizards of the Coast decided that alchemy was going to be a thing and they were going to change the way cards worked and what they said and reprint the same cards, but with the same name, but they do different things. And it was very confusing. And they were like, we're going to shove all these alchemy cards into historic and ruin every format that uses historic. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because I was doing historic brawl for a little while, you know, and it just, it's not possible anymore in paper, unfortunately. You have to kind of pick your own cutoff point as far as, you know, when cards will be legal from, and that's just not really doable if you're trying to play with other people. I would recommend if you are looking for something like that, just do Pioneer Brawl. I'll, uh, I'll have to look into it. Sounds like a lot of extra steps just to play a shorter Commander deck. Or play Oathbreaker. Gross. <laughs> Maybe that is the answer now that uh, Oathbreaker might be getting some support in the future is to just play Oathbreaker. <laughs> uh, it, so, good be. The better alternative to both of those things are cubes, which unfortunately are far more rare than either of those other things, also, because they take significant more work to put together, carry around, and just kind of, you know, play in general. But essentially, cubes. Pure cubes, in the, the purest sense of a cube, is 720 cards, and they're all broken up into individual, quote-unquote, booster packs, and you draft them similar to what you do in a draft event. There are commander variants, as far as I know. I just don't think there's a, a very clear, standardized rule set for how commander cubes work. So I know that uh, cubes are... I'm in the same boat as Doug was for Oathbreaker. I've built a number of cubes online and never actually uh, drafted a cube, but uh, I have built a couple of commander cubes and the most famous commander cube out there is Brandon Sanderson's commander cube, which was featured on game nights. Uh, and, and there is a specific set of rules that at least game nights released that they were using for that video around running a commander cube. Yeah, I know theirs is out there, but I know there's also a few other variations that, claim the title of commander cube um i don't know i guess we could just say you know command zone's definitely big enough to you know govern their own format so to speak it's one of those things if if you're interested in a commander cube if you're interested in building a cube at all and you've never kind of dipped your toes into that water you're, you're going to want to do a lot of research anyway so just look around you know see what other cubes are out there see what Maybe other Commander Cubes are out there. Like I said, you can look at Brandon Sanderson's Commander Cube. It's all publicly available online, um, as well as his rule sets. Just, you know, do some research. Cubes cubes are, it's a daunting task to build a cube. Yeah, it, you're going to end up spending a whole bunch of stuff on, uh, a whole bunch of stuff on just hold, things to hold your cube, no matter what kind it is. But I would definitely suggest that. Do your research on it. Uh, cube Cobra is kind of the site for that. It's where people build cubes virtually before they make them in paper because it can be very very expensive to do that you're talking hundreds of cards so you know definitely kind of take a look at what other people have done there there's a whole bunch of good advice you can find from people as far as balancing how many creatures there are how many versus your spells and lands and, and things like that whether it be for commander cubes or just basically making your own draft set either way cube speaking of that too with price wise cube is probably the most proxy friendly format there is 
Eh, CDH probably gives it a run for its money. But, well, yeah. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends on what kind of cube you're building. If you're building a power cube, definitely proxied, like almost 100%. But yeah, um, don't shy away. I don't, I don't think shying away from proxies in any format these days is a bad thing. Not with things like Magic 30 floating around and official proxies being accepted. So next up on our list, we got the one, the only, the Dan Dan. Doug, this is well within your realm. <laughs> So yeah, Dan Dan first came to my attention. Uh, I I read over to EDH Reca, which is our our sister site is Commander's Herald, and we had a we had Jake, who's kind of our resident CEDH guy. He last year, it's in July of last year, kind of came out of nowhere with this article talking about Dan Dan or Forgetful Fish, and it's it's a weird format uh, that's beautiful because you only have to have one deck for you and your opponent because your opponent and you both share a deck and a graveyard. So the standard deck for Dandan is uh, named after the old card Dandan. It's a uh, bl it's blue blue for a 4-1 with Island Walk and Island Home. And if you don't remember what Island Walk and Island Home is, that's okay. It just means that uh, you're, you haven't been playing for forever, I suppose. <laughs> Island Walk means that you can attack, and uh, if, the opponent, if the opponent has an island, your, that creature can't be blocked. And then Island Home means if you don't have an island on your side of the board that you now need to sacrifice that creature. So Dan Dan is a weird 80-card deck that has 10 Dan Dans in it, and that is the only threat in the deck. It's the only way besides decking each other that you're going to end the game, and you both are sharing a deck, so you basically are both trying to attack four ones into each other. And then it takes that and it plays with the fact that you share a library and a graveyard and has a whole bunch of different stuff like Brainstorm and, and, uh, and uh, Memory Lapse, cards that will mess with the top of the library. So Memory Lapse is a counterspell that says counter target spell. If that spell is countered this way, put it on top of the library instead of into the graveyard. Meaning that when you counter the spell on your opponent's turn, it then becomes your turn, and you share a deck, so you're now drawing the card that you just countered. Unless they do something like play a Brainstorm, in which case they'll draw three cards and then put two cards from their deck, or from their hand, back on top of the deck that you share. So it gets layers and layers deep just immediately as you play all these things at instant speed to just basically try and get 4-1 Fish down and get them to stick long enough to attack into your opponent. That's so, so it, strange, too, because that kind of takes away our normal, like, uh, the normal, like how we normally play magic, right? Because that's, that's incentivizing you to play your instant, like your counter spell on their turn in order yes. to give it to you so that you can draw it rather than playing it at, um, wait. At sorcery speed for counter spell. <laughs> no, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> no, no, I, but I, you're, you're on the right track here. Cause actually what Dan Dan is my favorite thing to do. Uh, it's, it's very, very fun for both newer players and older players. Older players get really, really deep into it. Cause they immediately kind of grok that. It's like, Oh, okay. We're just trying to, we're just fighting over this fish. And you'll see the stack get like seven spells deep as people counter spell and, and then have, okay, well, I'm going to remove it in response. There's even a, uh, a one mana spell called vision charm that literally changes the basic lands that everyone on the table has that is a one-mana instant speed board wipe for Dan Dans because you can just make everyone have mountains. Things like that. So old players get real deep into that real fast. And then new players, this is maybe the best tool I've ever found to teach new players that always want to play at sorcery speed how to play at instant speed. 
because it's just it's it's the bare floor for the game. It has to happen when you play this Dan Dan deck. It just has to. That's interesting. I need to play some Dan Dan because I clearly don't understand instant sorcery speed. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is it's gone beyond that. So beyond Jake's wonderful article out there on Commander's Herald, and if you just literally just put Commander's Herald Dan Dan into your uh, your browser, you'll come right up with it here, even though it's a year old. This actually really, really came up in popularity last month when Sam on Ristic Studies out on YouTube, who does wonderful in-depth videos on things, uh, went through and did a deep dive on when the format started. It was on an old forum board, I think back in like 2005, that the original person made the original deck. And it's kind of just blown up since then, and you're starting to see everybody do these. Dan Dan has spiked in price uh, as a result of that, unfortunately. But in the rules text for the original Dan Dan document, and there's a link to it in Sam's video, it has... 10 Dan Dan's literally printed onto the page. That tells you about how they felt about proxies. So don't feel like you need to go out and buy 10 foil Dan Dan's for $5, $10 a piece when you could just kind of do whatever you needed to do or go find a whiteboarded version that's not that expensive. On top of that, though, people have started making their own versions of this because the general idea of Dan Dan is not the specific deck. It's, hey, it's an 80-card deck or an X amount of card deck that you and your opponent both share the deck and the graveyard. So myself and lots of others have been making their own Dan Dan variants. Myself, I've made a battle box of them, as you know, as you might understand by this point. I love making battle boxes. Um, I made one for each color, and I made one just this last week for colorless as well. And some of these get deep enough that you can actually kind of not play Magic while you're playing Magic. Um, both my colorless version and my Werebear version of this are good examples of this. The Werebear version I made... Uh, if you're not aware of Werebear, it is a one, it's one and a green for a 1-1 one, one that taps for green mana, but it has threshold, uh, meaning if, if you have seven or more cards in your graveyard, it becomes a 4-4. Four, four. It gets plus three, plus three. But you both share a graveyard, so both your Werebears kind of get bigger and smaller at the same time. But there's a whole bunch of cards in green that can mess with your graveyard and put things from your graveyard back into your hand or back on top of your library. Those kind of things. So you can kind of mess with threshold at instant speed to make werebirds bigger or smaller, depending on if you're feeling aggro at that point. But I made the whole thing with no removal whatsoever. That's kind of the opposite of Dan Dan, the Dan Dan deck in that way, because it's essentially you and your opponent fighting over resources without actually being able to remove anything on the board. The only way the uh, werebears go away is if somebody draws greater good and sacrifices their own werebear to draw cards, essentially. Other than that, it's just you and your opponent racing to get the most stuff uh, so that you can either afford to make your werebears, you know, bigger, or you can get pump all your mana from all your werebears and all your lands into a gigantic helix pentacle uh, to win the game. It's interesting, too. It's, it's really cool because I think one of the biggest issues that I have with having formats I like that are kind of uh, either deck building challenges like pre-EDH or even completely other formats like Oathbreaker is I could put together Oathbreaker, uh, an Oathbreaker deck and go down and nobody else has one, you know? Exactly. Um, y now, uh, my recommendation for that is, is if you really like a format like that or a variant like that, make two decks at least and bring them right. both with you. But with Dan Dan, it's so cool because you're both playing off the, you just make the one deck, you set it down at the table and you're like, hey, let's play this, here are the rules. Yeah, and I that's literally why I keep this battle box with me when I go to the LGS, because sometimes you'll go there and you'll expect there to be, you know, five, six people, and instead it's just you and one other guy, and you're kind of like, well, we can play 1v1 Commander, but that's not really fun. And if you're not into Modern or anything like that, like I, I'm not, 
then this is a great thing for that, where you can just plop it down on the deck and say, hey, have you ever heard of Dan Dan? We only need this one deck. Let's just play real quick. And the games don't last very long. So it's just, it's a great time killer while you wait for people to show up so you can play Commander or, uh, or in between rounds at a, a limited event or a tournament or any of that kind of thing. That's Dan Dan. I don't have a lot to say about it. You guys fucking hammer that shit into the ground. Good job. <laughs> you gotta um, play Dan Dan, Matt. All right, play Dan I mean, Dan. I'm down. <laughs> something, something put on the list, I guess. So, you know, there's a lot of different things. Obviously, a lot of these formats are kind of impromptu, fan favorite creations that Watsi doesn't recognize, and a few of them are things that are officially recognized, like Oathbreaker being brand new on that front. I guess, you know, a short discussion about what it means to be an official format or something like that. To me, uh, I really don't give a shit. An official format to me is something that's officially on Watsi's page, and they have some breakdown of the rules, at least a brief discussion in the case of Oathbreaker, because their Oathbreaker page is not very extensive. But it's cool that it's on their page, I guess. Yeah, I think that's really the big thing as far as it, it's similar to Commander. They don't own Oathbreaker. Oathbreaker is actually owned by... Uh, of all things, a charity, believe it or not, that takes cards and, and, and gives them to kids to help them learn to read and basic math, basic math skills and that kind of thing, and just to have something to do. Like we all, you know, did in, in high school and what have you. But it's not owned by wizards, so they, they don't have direct control over it in a similar way to Commander. But it's nice that it's up on the page, because similar to Commander, you know, people can go and say, hey, this is the thing, and I understand the rules that are right here. And maybe it'll even get support at some point. It's in a similar version to Commander where it's pre-cons made and that kind of thing. That'd be pretty cool. Kyle, what do you think about being an official format? It allows it to have, um, uh, what do you call that? It, it allows it to be seen more, right? It's, it's if you're looking through formats on the page, if you're, you, you, it's easier to stumble across, I guess, like, it's one of those things where, especially unless you're like one of us and you're out there digging through, trying to find formats, looking for things, reading articles, you know, we have to realize that there's probably a decent number of players, especially new players who aren't spending their days scrolling through reading magic articles. So it's, it, it gives a, a way for new players to find these formats. And we'll see. I, I am hopeful that it means we'll get support from Watsi in the form of uh, pre-constructed decks, but after their brawl decks i don't know <laughs> i don't know if that's gonna happen speaking of support in case you guys ever wanted to go out and start your own podcast you know here's a brief excerpt about the tools that we use to get this published out to your guys's eardrums anyways like we mentioned at the start of this episode this is just a few of the formats and variations that either directly involve commander or commander adjacent there's obviously a lot more out there. So make sure to hit us up on our Discord. Let us know what we missed or how we screwed up on these formats that we talked about. And, you know, check out all our other social medias while you're at it. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Casual Tutors. I think TikTok is the best place to find us besides our Discord because I think my memes are spicy. And if you disagree, let me know because that is still talking to me and I will be happy. Anyways, without dragging this episode on much longer, I'm Matt. I'm Kyle. And I'm Doug. And we're the Casual Tutors. Thanks for listening. Heck yeah.